why aren't you an English teacher? And I'm like, I don't know. I just came in under sped. I, I don't know. And I just went ahead and took the test. I haven't looked back ever since. So, yeah, I, I'm glad to be an English teacher. Literacy is vastly important, especially for our black and brown babies. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. This is more than a moment. It's a movement. Hey, it's Danielle. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. Our goal is to share the stories of 500 Black educators. We will celebrate the impacts and achievements, learn from the lessons and challenges, and highlight the important roles that educators play in all of our lives. I'm excited to welcome today's guest to our show. As a do now, please tell us your name, your role in education, and answer the question, why do Black educators matter? Uh, I am Leonard Andre Wilson Jr. I am an English teacher. Been teaching English for about seven years, and this is my tenth year in education. And Black educators matter because of observational learning. We've got Black and Brown babies and scholars who are looking for role models, and they connect with us on a different level. And if you've ever taught a black and brown student before, then you understand that state. So where are you from, Mr. Wilson? Uh, originally, I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but I have been living in Memphis, Tennessee for a while. Okay. All right. So shout out to the Midwest. We're based in Chicago. Did you go to school okay. in Milwaukee? Yeah, I did. I grew up, I was in Milwaukee for 21 years. Okay. So what was your K through A experience like growing up as a black student in Milwaukee? Did you have... Uh, yeah. A lot of black educators. Was it a diverse group of kids that you went to school with? Definitely a diverse group. Uh, elementary, I went to Silver Spring Elementary School near Lincoln Park, and that was very diverse. I had my share of black women teachers. I had one black male teacher, but he was a PE coach, and a lot of white teachers, but really it was the black educators that left the biggest impact on me. In middle school, I went to Samuel Morris, which is a school for gifted and talented. And our head principal was a black male educator. And um, a majority of the educators were, were Caucasian. Okay. Black leadership. And then what about your high school experience? High school, there were a few black women sprinkled in. I went to Bayview High School, which was a program for pre-law. But again, a majority of my teachers were white. Okay. What about your college experience? What led you to become an educator? Well, in college, I only had one black male educator, and it was the last semester I was at Tennessee State University in Nashville. So what actually led me to education was I was accepted into a school counseling program back in Wisconsin. I was dating my then-girlfriend, now ex-wife. She's from Memphis, Tennessee, and I didn't want to do a long-distance relationship. So last minute, I decided to apply for grad school at TSU and MTSU. And I got into the grad program at MTSU in education. And then I ended up joining the New Teacher Project, which is very similar to Teach for America. And a lot of people recognize the New Teacher Project because it's a teaching fellows program. So Chicago teaching fellows, Milwaukee teaching fellows, Memphis teaching fellows, and I joined Memphis teaching fellows and I haven't looked back ever since. Shout out to that uh, experience. So did you go to TSU for undergrad? Yes, I did. I studied psychology. Oh, shout out to the psych major. So I, I have a psych degree, but my partner, Brooke, graduated from TSU. So I'm sure nice. 
she will be very pleased to know that uh, you are on the show. I know y'all got a lot of pride. Yes, yes, we do. Definitely. So when you joined the Teaching Fellows, before you joined that, did you ever see yourself as an educator? Did you ever have any idea that this is where you would land? Well, my, my, my original college was the University of Wisconsin Parkside in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And I had a black academic advisor, a beautiful woman, and she was looking at my transcript and she was seeing that all of my English classes, A's, 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 anything with writing, anything related to English, journalism, A's, A's, A's. And it was the other classes that I wasn't going to because when I started out, I wasn't very serious as an undergraduate student. And I was just blowing classes off. But when it came to anything with English, anything with writing, anything journalism, I would take it seriously. And it was straight A's. And she was like, you need to become an English teacher. We need more black male English teachers. But Milwaukee public schools at that time, and probably still now, paid very, very low for starting teachers. So I definitely was not interested in going to education at that time. I didn't get serious about going into education until I was graduating from TSU and um, I was accepted into the program at the University of Wisconsin to go into school counseling. So initially I was supposed to be a school counselor and now I'm an English teacher. <laughs> That's how life works sometimes. That is how life works sometimes. But I think having that psych background plus the passion for English, it like really allows you to tap into and build connections with your students through their writing. Definitely. Definitely. And I still I still use my psychology background, even just in building rapport and trying to understand either my colleagues or my kids or their parents. I'm still using it. Still using it. Absolutely. So how does that shared sense of identity and connectedness exist between you and your black students? How did you recognize it, if it exists? It definitely exists. It can be a head nod. It can be some type of nonverbal language, body language, just an eye contact. When a student's off task or they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're black or brown, I could just look at them and they know. Now, for all of my students, regardless of where they're from, they learn that eventually. But it's something about those black and brown students. They get it immediately. And it's probably because, you know, the role models they have in their life, their family, they're used to when a black adult is looking at you and you're not supposed to be doing what you're doing and you need to get back focused and on task. It's just, it's a kindred spirit or something. It's there. I, I can't explain it really. It's there. What has been the most impactful moment you've had as an educator thus far? So you've been an English teacher for seven years, but you said you've been in yep. education for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, initially, I taught special education. I started out as a special education teacher. I did self-contained, then I moved over into inclusion, and then... All of my co-teachers I was working with in the English department was like, why aren't you an English teacher? I mean, at that point, I'd already written books and I'm like, I've done, you know, different journalistic things. Why aren't you an English teacher? And I'm like, I don't know. I just came in under sped and my degree was paid for uh, at the University of Memphis for my master's. So it was like, I, I don't know. Then I just went ahead, took the test, aced it the first time and I haven't looked back ever since. So... Yeah, I'm glad to be an English teacher. Um, literacy is vastly important, especially for our black and brown babies. How do you think beginning your career as a special education teacher has made you a stronger English teacher for all students? 
definitely, I've learned how to tier lessons. I've learned how to differentiate at a different level. And if you'd seen the very first class that I was responsible for, I was teacher of record for, I had students on so many different spectrums as far as learning disabilities, and many of them were moderate to severe. So those kids didn't even take the state assessment at the end of the year. They had to take what they call the alt portfolio. So we had to put together an entire portfolio and submit it at the end of the year to show that they were making uh, progress as far as academic achievement is concerned. Um, so when you are birthed as a teacher, as an educator in that, and there was nothing, there was no guidelines. I didn't have any curriculum to follow. Um, I didn't even really have necessarily academic standards that I could rely on. I had to literally work with every student, their individual education plan, and create a program that not only held me accountable, but also held the students and their parents accountable as well too. Because just because they had learning disabilities, that did not lower my expectations. And that's my entire career. I've always had high expectations for my kids, the same way as I have for myself and everything that I do. So it, it definitely helped me. It definitely helped me. Have you been able to help educators break some of the stigmas they have around special education and what it means to engage with students of varying abilities? Definitely. Um, I'd say especially even as a general educator, when I did have inclusion classes and I used to be in that role as a special educator, working with the general educator, now I'm the general educator. And unfortunately, many of the special educators that I've worked with, they had lower expectations for the students and they had certain stigma because of their past teaching professional experiences, they could only see these students being able to achieve but so much. And again, for me, it, maybe it's just how I'm wired, but my personal model is high expectations and no excuses. Like, there are no excuses. It might take one student longer to reach a certain goal than another, and that's okay. And then that becomes a, a, an entire issue of equity, which is a huge problem in K-12 education right now, especially for our black and brown babies. Well, let's go there. You you went on here to equity, so let's have this conversation. So what yeah. is the state of education in Black America, and how did we get here? You know, they, there's, a, there's a, um, a saying that if America catches the cold, catches a cold, that Black America gets pneumonia. And it's crazy because now we think about with the global pandemic going on and this whole virtual learning versus social distancing versus distance learning. It's an utter hot mess. It always has been a hot mess. Even going back to my undergraduate days in, in psychology, I'm thinking, I believe it was an abnormal psychology course that I took and it really broke down how disproportionately African-American males were suspended, expelled, and typically based on the special education track. The special education track should be for those kids that actually need it and need those services. And unfortunately, historically, uh, many of those kids who maybe had ADHD or some type of hyperactivity disorder, they were diagnosed and they were prescribed medicine. Well, if you ask a kid when they're on medicine, when they're off medicine, they'll tell you they feel like a zombie, like they don't feel themselves. They're not able to, they're not really there. It's like they're so calm, they're so medicated that they're not really there. 
So I, I believe that's the history of it. And just being frank, how this country was formed, it never was built for us. The entire K through 12 system, the economic system, capitalism, is not built for us. Now, there are a few, I'd say, outliers where we've been able to reach success. But for many of our kids, they need so much in terms of the equity, so many resources. And honestly, the federal government, state governments, local governments, they're not responding. There's no sense of urgency. And until we have a sense of urgency, that achievement gap between black and white students, between black and Asian students, is going to continue to get wider and wider until someone with power and resources actually does something. Because I'd argue, I think, as black and brown educators, we do our best. We do our best. And we can't afford to spend our entire salary on our kids and on our classroom and intervening in family lives. But it just speaks to the matter of what schools were initially, what they're supposed to do as far as being comprehensive and provide comprehensive services and serve the community. They don't do. And until that changes, nothing will change. And the K-12 public education system and model will forever be a hot mess. It's like I, I want to go so many. No, because I, I want. I was like, I want to unpack it, but I, I will just ask this question, and maybe we will unpack it in this question. So, understanding that the state of education K twelve is a hot mess, I'm gonna still ask: Are schools designed for children of color? No, so, and they never have been. And I'll tell you, there is a perfect documentary that's out right now that I'm that I'm analyzing on my own podcast. And the documentary is called America to Me. Have you seen that before? That takes place in Illinois. Yeah, it's in Oak Park, Oak Park. West, side, West Side Chicago. Yep, it's a suburb, very yeah. affluent suburb right next to the West uh-huh. Side of Chicago, which. Yeah. The, dangerous a lot going on yep you want to talk about yep. equity and disparities it's amazing chicago exactly. when they set this place up when they designed this city with the segregation mm-hmm. they they did a bang up job because it's amazing how you can be on one side of the street and you cross the street and it's a totally different totally experience different yep so yes tell us about america to me so America to me follows Oak Park and River Forest High School. That name's kind of confusing. It took me a while to get used to it. It's literally one school. Oak Park, if you think historically, they've been they dealt with white flight and they tried to kind of curve and mitigate that. And they were able to do that with different housing policies and regulations. And basically the I'll say liberal Caucasians stayed and they welcomed diversity, but it's So there's a such thing as having activism and it only being at a surface level. And I feel that's what Oak Park does effectively well. And you see that in this documentary. But underneath underneath that layer, there's a lot of microaggressions. Um, And like I said before, there's a lack of urgency. And as you watch this documentary, they actually list there's a 75-year gap in this high school between Black students and white students based on ACT composite scores, where the white students have shown significant growth, the black students have showed regression. And the entire documentary, and it's 10 episodes long, so this is a long docuseries, but it's worth the watch, and that's why I'm analyzing it carefully each episode, because it it was filmed in 2015, 2016, but it still speaks to everything that's going on now. Nothing has changed. Nothing's changing. And... um, 
we need some type of massive intervention at every level possible to break up the status quo. Because again, as long as we do, the K through 12 system is not effectively preparing our students for success. Again, we ignore it because we have outliers. We do have students who are able to somehow overcome all of those obstacles. They're able to uh, matriculate through college, go to grad school, go to professional school, start a career and become productive citizens in this country. But if you look at the numbers, there's a huge majority that just struggle, 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 and they just continue to struggle. And it's like, when, when do we stop it? Or do we just keep this train going? So um, America, to me, again, documentary I highly recommend. It's really worth watching for every educator, regardless of your color. This is just one of many stories, and we want to keep the conversation going. Follow us on Instagram at blackeducators.matter. Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org. Help build the movement by joining our Patreon. Now, let's get back to our Project 500 podcast. I may need to check that out, especially because it definitely takes place nearby. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about things not changing... So currently, we're recording this in July. When I was looking at my Facebook memories... It's amazing. Within the last 24 to 48 hours, I had memories about Emmett Till's birthday, about Sandra Bland, and about Breonna Taylor. So, like, when you say, like, nothing is changing and and we look at this moment in time and realize where we are, that lack of urgency, it just, it's, it's cyclical. Right. It's like our trauma is cyclical and we're right in the throes. Yeah, I was just gonna pick it back. It's a generational curse. Yes, and 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 nobody is doing anything about it. I mean, I'd say in very small, minute, really grassroots ways, there are movements, but and and this might be controversial. Our Black Lives Matter movement. Once we're done with police brutality, our next target needs to be K through twelve public education. I agree. Uh, the more conversations that I have as we as we are on our journey to 500, we we recognize that education is a civil right. And the more that you talk to black educators, every single black educator will tell you that this system is broken. And we've done everything that we can to work within a broken system, but we don't need to continue to pretend that this is the way. It's not the way. Like you said, the yeah. whole K-12 needs to be I don't even I don't have the adjective but I'll just say the whole K-12 needs to be what is the Black Scholars Podcast the Black Scholars Podcast is a podcast (laughs) Uh, it's a community that I came up with in 2018 I've been a huge fan of podcasts probably all the way back to I would say 2005 when I moved to Nashville and I used to always listen to uh, Dave Ramsey. He's a financial guru, financial expert. I used to always listen to his podcast and different sports podcasts. And I've seen the, the full metamorphosis from 2005 all the way to 2020. Now podcasts are not only big business, but they're highly impactful. And you can literally build an entire tribe around it. So 
The Black Scholars Podcast is a tribe, it's a community. It's specifically for black and brown educators and scholars. We've been, I've been doing it since the summer of 2018. It's grown quite a bit, published a book based on my podcast audience. I'm working on another one and I just see a very bright future for it. But, you know, back in 2005, when I, when I did listen to those podcasts, there weren't many education podcasts and those that existed were predominantly very general and very white, white hosts and businesses behind them. And I just wanted to add some diversity to it. So I guess you can say reverse gentrification as far as the podcast industry, but not to say we don't have excellent black and brown podcasts out there geared towards education. But when I started it, there weren't many or there were some that started and then they stopped. So they went for like a year and then they stopped or they went for six months and then they stopped. And it's like, no, I'm just going to keep growing this thing as much as I can. So I love it. What have been some of your favorite topics that you've had thus far over your past two years? Favorite topics, I would say... When I just think back, looking at the numbers on my show, I've got an episode that talks about social media for educators. And it was, I believe, the year of 2018, that summer when I started it, or it might have been last year. There was a lot going on, like a lot going on. Like you had educators going on on spring break or fall break. It definitely it was something on spring break. And it was there were some fine lines that were being crossed between social media and you never want to tell an adult how to be themselves on social media, but you have to also realize you're going to have students looking up, you know, your information. You got parents looking up your information, potential employers or current employers looking up your information. So you really have to be careful on what you post. Anytime I get a chance to talk about entrepreneurship with educators and personal finance, that's always a personal favorite of mine. Then the series I did, uh, most recently, besides the one I'm doing right now, where we did talk about what's going on with the pandemic and how it's actually impacting K-12 through education. Literally every guest that I've had on the show has been a Black educator. I'm proud of that. We'll continue that. And that's not to discourage other educators from potentially being on the show or listening to the show, because I know they listen to the show, because I have a lot of white colleagues that love my show but I just wanted to create something for us. Yeah, that's exactly how we are with Black Educators Matter. With our first initiative with Project 500, we were dedicating 500 episodes to telling the stories of 500 Black educators. But episode 501 is when we will be able to talk to all educators because I also have some non-Black educators that I know listen to and support the show that I want to interview because I want to know for them, did you ever have any Black educators? Are there any Black educators who shaped and influenced you? But like you said, creating that space an opportunity for this group right now to be able to tell their stories. Have you found uh, yourself able to connect with a lot of black male educators? No, which is disheartening. And there's so many reasons I can get into why, but that we'd be doing this for forever. But it's so much easier for me to connect with and actually get on the show and execute what our plan is with a black woman than it is for a black male. And uh, I do have some black males that through the podcast 
that uh, I've grown close to and we have good rapport and good relationships, but it's hard. Um, and I think a huge part of it too is they're hard to find. They're really hard to find, especially if we look at age wide, because we see a lot of black male educators who get in and then they get out and they don't come back. And actually, honestly, I was one of those educators. I got in, I got out, I did some entrepreneurial things. And then I said, you know, I had a calling. God was calling me, get back in education, stop playing. And I got back into it and I haven't looked back ever since. So I just think because the numbers are so low for black male educators, specifically for those that teach academic core classes only, not, you know, P coaches or I, I coach of the basketball team. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm really trying to break a stigma on black male educators. We're more than disciplinarians and we're more than sports coaches. We can be the brightest in the room. You can learn from us. We can contribute to PLCs. We can help develop other coaches and peers and our colleagues. And we can really have a major impact because that's literally how I've shaped my career and will continue to shape my career. And so those are really the black male educators I'm looking for. And uh, it's just, it's hard to find them. It's, it's really hard to find them. I follow all the hashtags. That's how I found you guys. But it's, it's hard to find them. It really is. And if I do find them and I open up a topic for different volunteers to join the show, sometimes they just don't follow through for whatever reason. So hopefully that changes. Hopefully. It is hard. It is very hard to find black male educators. First of all, y'all are only like 2% of the pool. And I just interviewed a few episodes ago, Professor Rock, who is a black male educator who is an ELA teacher. And he said, like, one reason why the impact matters so much and the representation matters so much is because we see black males in some roles within the schools, but it's not as common for you to find a black male English teacher. Very true. Yep. So he's preaching, to, he's preaching to the choir. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I do hope that this community that we are building, this tribe that you are building, like as we start to share our stories and lift our voices, that people can find each other. Because the loneliness within the field Absolutely. is real. It is. It is Definitely. very, very is. real. Tell us about your books. Where can people find you and support you? Well, on Instagram, you'll find my link to everything. So at Black Scholars Podcast, again, at Black Scholars Podcast, you'll find a link to everything that I'm doing. You can also go to Black Scholars Publishing. The latest book that I wrote was How to Be an Effective Black Educator. The next book that I'm going to be working on is specifically for Black educators and personal finance, because that's the other reason why I think The numbers are so low, specifically for black males in education. And there's a multitude of other reasons as well. But as a black male, we are taught to be a provider. We're taught to be extremely financially literate and to be able to financially handle everything. That's very stressful, especially when you enter a field that is not being rewarded financially like it should. So there are ways around that that I have figured out. And I want to put all of that into a book. The COVID-19, I'll be honest, it kind of has slowed down everything because it made me realize that we have to be extremely flexible at times like this. And so it gave me some more ideas. So I'm really excited about that when that's finally released. Shout out to the ideas and come in, create yes. some sort of beauty out of out of this moment that is 2020. 
Um, yes, a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Wilson said it, a hot mess. Uh, as you reflect on all of your experiences as a student, as a college student, as someone who was a career changer, entering this teacher preparation program, special education teacher, English teacher, writer, podcast host, all of the many hats that you wear. Are there any black mm-hmm. educators that went out of their way to aid in your success or pour into you? So are there any black educators that you would like to thank? All of them. I'd like to thank all of them from third grade. I had Mrs. D. Taylor and B. Taylor. They really let me know that as a student, I was astute and uh, I was special. You know, just simple work like that, like you're different. You know, you start hearing that over and over and over again. And even all the way when I was at TSU, my professor, Professor Hardy, who studied at John uh, Hopkins University and also Vanderbilt uh, in religious studies, my connection spiritually to God, like he opened up my eyes from an academic historical standpoint on that. And if I collectively kind of synthesize everything, it's like, hey, black man, you are great. You were created from greatness. So it's really a lesson of, I don't know if it's a positive affirmation, but it's more a lesson of believing yourself, you know, self-efficacy. Like you come from great things. You are more than a descendant of slaves. And I try to instill that in all of my, my students, regardless of, of race or ethnicity, because at some point, real history, everybody was a slave. At some point, indent- what you, you call it indentured servitude or... It was the traditional slavery. Everyone has been a slave at some point historically. And I just want students to believe in themselves. So shout out to all of my Black educators who poured into me. They really played a huge part in molding me to who I am today. And uh, I still don't feel like, you know, I'm in my prime and I'm in my mid-30s. I still don't feel like I've reached where I'm supposed to reach. And um, I'm just going to keep going. What would a successful career in education look like for you? I'm playing a legacy game. That's the game I'm playing. So my, how I look at my career right now is I'm cross-training. So I've put 10 years into the classroom. I've done special education. I've done general education. I've worked with the State Department of Education in Tennessee. I'd love to work with the federal government, not under the current legislation or administration, of course. But I... And I'm also in grad school working on my licensure to become a principal. So I do want to do that, but I don't want to do it for the rest of my career. And so when playing a legacy game, my overall goal is to actually start my own school. And I don't I don't want to charter school. I don't want to be able to charter school network. I want to create my own school, my own network, my own network of schools. Yeah, that's 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 what I'm doing. Right now I'm just cross training. This is all me learning on someone else's dime while making an impact. And then eventually I get to make the ultimate impact and continue to invest in myself. That's always my rule. Invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. And um that's what I want to do. I want to leave my kids with schools. So Man, you just dropped some real knowledge on me. I'm over here writing <laughs> notes like come on legacy game. A million percent. Amen and a million percent. Blessings to you on your journey. And I hope that you receive and manifest all the things that you have in store. Thank you for joining us on this podcast and sharing your story and opening up to us. And 
walking us through your experiences as a student and also as an educator and as an entrepreneur because this podcast game is it it's it's fun when you think about yeah. it like I just wanted to talk to people and have a conversation but when you yeah. really start yeah. to think about all the work you put into building a podcast it's a lot of work <laughs> it's a lot, it's of, a work. lot of work So thank you for all that you are doing to build your tribe, all that you're doing to pour into families and into communities as an educator, and all that you are doing to pour into yourself as a black man, because when you are full, you can bless others. So thank you again. Everything that you've done, it was, it is, and it always will be worth it. So thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Black Educators Matter. Are you ready to share your story? Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org to sign up. Remember, make excellence equitable and thank a Black teacher today.